Okay, if you have your Bibles and want to turn, we are in a brand new book this morning. We're going back to the, the New Testament, and very excited to do that. <laughs> we were in Exodus a long time. Neat to see the wonder of God's constancy and his deliverance and his law and the wonder of him dwelling among us in Exodus, and then to go to the New Testament. And we're diving in to 2 Corinthians. And I don't know about you, but I, you know, I've taught the Bible a long time, and I've been through most of the books of the New Testament, but we've never been through 2 Corinthians. And you're probably like, yeah, Dax, there's a reason. Right? I mean, 2 Corinthians, what is it exactly? What's happened? What's, actually, it's really unfamiliar to most people because Paul writes several letters to the Corinthians, and only two we have, but it's probably four at least. And, and the idea that we want to do with, with 2 Corinthians, Paul's fighting for the gospel. He is. That the Bible's not just a set of principles or biblical principles you can use your life for, but it's actually a message that Paul has brought to people. I mean, it's a cliche kind of to say we're fighting for the gospel. But, but really, honestly, the problem for most Christians is not a bare recital of the facts of Jesus' death and resurrection. Say, what's Christianity? Well, Jesus died and he rose again. That is Christianity, but we can all say it. But do we trust it? Because questions remain. What will it look like in your life? What is this gospel? And we follow Paul's message because he's our apostle, right? I say our apostle. I, I, I don't mean to take away at all. Our savior is Jesus. But the way we know about Jesus is Paul. Like he had this special encounter with Jesus. And, and then he got sent by Jesus to go where? To the Gentiles. Who are they? <laughs> That's you. That's me. I mean, more than any other person sent directly from God to give us the message of Jesus, it's Paul. Amazing. But it seems like, because Paul wrote many letters in the New Testament, they all kind of follow the same thing. In fact, I had one conference that, that I saw, this is not mine, this is somebody else, I'll put it up, says, well, there's a general, like, uh, here's the general Pauline letter outline. Grace, I thank God for you. Hold fast to the gospel. For the love of everything, holy, stop being stupid. <laughs> Timothy says, hi. <laughs> That's it. And you can go through many letters of the New Testament, and that's kind of kind of feels like what he's doing is grace to you, and then he gives thanks for them, and, 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 and then he then he's hold fast in the gospel. There's some amazing gospel piece, and then there's some instructions because they're doing something stupid. Don't do that. And then he says goodbye, and Timothy says I too, because Timothy is always with Paul. So this is kind of the message. Sometimes you think, well, yeah, we, we just do the same letter over and over, you know. Okay, Second Corinthians is not like that. He, he breaks this outline. He's not doing what you would see in 1 Corinthians or Galatians or Ephesians or these other books of the Bible. It's different. There's something different going on. Why? What's happening? Well, so I want to share the context with you. This, this amazing apostle Paul is for you, and he wants you to know something really important. So here, there it was that Paul, on his second missionary journey, he went to Corinth, it was about AD 50, so about 30 years after, or 20 years after Jesus died on the cross. So Paul's out doing his missionary journey, and he comes into Corinth, and he, he's a tent maker. So he goes to the tent maker folks, the people that are making tents. Their names are Priscilla and Aquila. 
Young couple there, they make tents. Paul stays with them and makes tents. And while he's there, he's talking about Jesus with them. And they get saved, and they're excited. They say, well, we want to we learn more. So Paul's going to the synagogue, and he's teaching about Jesus and talking about Jesus, and it's really fun, except what? The Jews say, we don't want you to do meet at the synagogue anymore. We don't like this message. So they go next door. They say, where can we find a place to meet? Their next-door neighbor for the tent maker shop says, oh, I'll open my house. So they start meeting at the guy's house. And young people are coming, and they're getting to know Jesus, and they're talking about the wonder of who Jesus is, and they're all excited. But they're not trained in Hebrew. They're not Old Testament scholars. They only heard this amazing message from Paul. Paul was there a year, year and a half is all, 18 months. And then he's off and gone. So he writes a letter when he's gone to check in with them. It's an early letter we don't have. He, he, he gets a response, and he's kind of concerned about that. So, so he, he writes another letter. That's 1 Corinthians to tell him in some instructions on don't be stupid. Because they were doing some dumb things. They were doing things like, you know, I, I, really like someone in the body had a terrible sin, and they were all just embracing it. They were, they were like doing a bunch of stuff like the pagan culture around them. They were taking communion wrong. So he addressed all this stuff, and then, and then he got news back that they didn't really, so he made an emergency visit. He, we don't even know. We have no record of it in the Bible, but we know that from the Bible, the letters, that he made an emergency visit to visit them because it wasn't going well in the church. The church was like, not, not happening. He is Paul, so he said everything right. No, it was a terrible visit. He went away totally, like, bummed out. Church wasn't going well. It's not in order. There's something. He's gone. But then he's so mad that he wrote another letter, we think, the third letter. Third Corinthians? No, we don't have the letter. It's gone. And he sent it with Titus. And Titus reported back to Paul that they finally, like, listened to him. And so, though, there remained an issue. See, it wasn't about all the things they were doing wrong. Don't do stupid stuff. It was about something underneath it that was really important that they weren't getting. It's about an approach to Christianity that they were slipping into. It was about something very deep underneath a lot of what we actually do, these assumptions that we're making. And, and Paul's like, i got to address this. And so he writes 2 Corinthians. So this piece that's going on is this Paul and his mission and the instruction of 1 Corinthians, the real issue didn't go away. The real issue is the letter that we're going to read together over the next couple months. Paul's presentation of the gospel in the context of God not making them awesome. God not making them strong. This is a big deal. Paul doesn't seem to be like much. And why, you know, if God's really with you and you're praying to God and you're asking him and he's got the Holy Spirit in you and you're like, why aren't you better than you are? It's something a little like this. I know celebrities on the screen at church, how could we? But isn't he awesome, man? He's strong, he's good. I think this could be my apostle. Man, if this guy's walking down and this is the apostle Paul, I'm like, he's a man's man. He's going, he's strong, he's can man, he's going to beat somebody up if they don't believe in Jesus. Think that could you, Paul. But what if instead you get your eyes opened all of a sudden and, and, and no, th- this is Paul. 
wait a minute. Wait, whoa, 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 I had built up in my mind this guy. Like, first blood Rambo, whatever. And all of a sudden, like, wait a minute, he's got a beer belly, which is the real guy. And we laugh because the whole world's presentation is get built, get strong. And that's a metaphor, not just for physical strength and physical cutness and physical fitness and physical, like, awesome-looking stuff. But in actuality, you don't look like much. The real person got a belly. I want to hide that thing. No, wait. See, this, this, now you're starting to get at what, what 2 Corinthians is going to be at because they looked at Paul and said, wait a minute. I thought you were here and you were the man and you had the message and you were strong and you were going. And now it just seems a little bit like you're a weakling. You're not staying fit. You're not doing the right stuff. And, and, and I don't know about you in your Christian life. You say, hey, I came to Christ and I, I tasted the sweetness of Jesus for me. And, 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 and I believe it and I trust that it's true. But then I wait for cool things to happen. And maybe they don't happen. And I start to go, oh, is the message really true? How am I thinking about Christianity? That's what we're talking about. So, so if you miss all this, you might... <laughs> Not understand, because the letter just jumps right in. There's a sudden start. But even in the start, there's this emphasis of focus, hints of where Paul's going to be going in the letter. What is Christianity? Why aren't you getting better? Why doesn't God make us strong instead of weak? What's the deal with all this suffering and wrongness if we've got a God who could stop it? Right? Why aren't we beacons of success in a world that would listen to great people? I think, I think, I really do, that I would be more willing to listen to this guy than this one. Wouldn't you? Why is Paul using this? Why is God using this? Okay, so that's, that's our context as we dive in, as he writes this final letter to the Corinthians that's called 2 Corinthians, but it's really probably his fourth letter of what he really wants to deal with with them. And we're going to start suddenly. We're going to jump right in because he does. Here we go. Verse 1. If you have it, Second Corinthians, you want to follow along in your Bible. We're in chapter 1, verse 1, and it starts with Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Okay. Stop there for a minute. This is a pretty standard greeting from Paul. He first identifies, but think about this with me. He's, he's, this is his fourth letter to them. He's visited at least twice. He knows these guys. I said, Paul, your father, the one who started the church and bled that you might know me. Paul, I'm, I'm, I'm the one who, 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 who discipled the leaders of your church. I'm Paul, the starter of everything. Instead, Paul just wants to say one thing to them. Paul, apostle authority right here right that's what he does the apostle of christ jesus jesus is the one who sends me nothing else and jesus is of course by the will of god i didn't do this myself 
Because you're going to look at me, you're not going to see much. You're going to look at me and think weakling. You're going to think of me and be right, except for this incredible, huge fact that you know. I am an apostle of Christ, your Savior, Jesus. Not by my will, God's will. And Timothy's with me. Timothy's always with him. I want to be Timothy. So that's this first piece, right? That's who he is. He says, man, I am the sent one of Jesus, my designation. He could have said more. And he says, to the church of God at Corinth. That's interesting because that's a very rare way, if you go through all his letters, for him to actually address the people he's talking to, at least that first little bit, the church of God at Corinth. Like what? Like God's gathering. The gathering that God has made. And all the holy ones in the region, holy ones, saints, right? That's, that's really common. Paul says that all the time. But he still says it to these guys who have essentially rejected him in a lot of ways. They've been in left field. He still calls, calls them saints. 43 times, by the way, in the Bible, this is Paul's reference to Christian. The most common by far, a Christian is a saint, a holy one. That's Paul's name, So he's laying it right down, you guys. He's speaking to them after hearing all of their problems in Corinth, of their immorality, of their wrongness, of their continuing questioning of Paul himself. And yet despite their worldliness and weakness and all their failures, they've been sanctified, made holy, haven't they? In Christ Jesus, by God, as saints. You can't miss this. If Paul had taken their life and their conduct into account, it would have been impossible for him to write holy ones, right? Christ alone is their righteousness, holiness, and redemption. They are the holy temple of God, corporately and individually. And as he wrote in 1 Corinthians, right? It's been not changed. They have, have, have been washed have been sanctified, have been justified by Jesus. So as you know, it's hugely important to this letter. Sanctification isn't some second stage of Christian life. It's not a steady upward process of growth and development or self-improvement. Sanctification is God's work, which we don't do ourselves. We suffer as God does what he wants. That's one of the hardest lessons in all of life to me. And we're going to get it in this book. You suffer what God wants to do with you. We'll see. But you're holy ones because God's done it. So Paul gives him his apostolic greeting, starts all his letters, and, and there he does. He does it there too. This is the greeting he gives off over and over. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace favor and loving attention of God undeserved in the face of sin and guilt. The gospel announces not only our deliverance from the misery of sin, but the unfathomable love of God on us. Grace to you, says the apostle. You holy ones who God loves and has given himself to in Christ. This is the theme always of his letters. So greeting and grace isn't, isn't changed in what he always does. Except now, if you believe the context of this, that these Corinthians are questioning Paul's strength, his leadership, his ability, his giftedness. You're going, wow, you know, the Corinthians imagine that salvation is empowerment. 
Paul's making it clear that salvation brings an abiding confession of our weakness. What we need is God's favor all the time. God's grace in the midst of our unworthiness, it's ongoing. So in peace, that means right relationship, right? Shalom. It doesn't mean a sense of like calmness. It's not a sense of, of, of tranquility. It's a reality of right relationship. He says, peace to you. Why do I have it? Because of what Jesus has done. So this is all standard, but it already is aimed at their problem. I say that because now he does something remarkable, right? Like, like remember back that he says grace. And normally he would say, I thank God for you. Go through and check sometime. We're not going to take the time now. He goes through these, all these letters and says, man, thanks God for the, you guys. I just thank you. He even did it in first Corinthians. He doesn't do it here. This is a big break. Big break. No thanksgiving for them. Instead, he turns and blesses God. Really important for you and I to see as we start that that Paul lives and knows that there is hurt in the world and there is hurt in your life. There is. What are you going to do about it? What's God doing about it? What, what, What is this? This is where he goes, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Okay, there's a lot of words comfort in there, and I'm like, well, I don't really know what he's getting at, what's happening, and why is he starting the letter like this? Well, he usually expresses thanksgiving for the relationship he has with the church. But here the Corinthians are part of his affliction. You know, affliction isn't just that I, I, you know, I'm struggling because my diabetes is out of control or really, man, my ache in my foot, it really hurts and that's affliction. That's affliction. But there's relational affliction too, right? People don't think well of you. You've got conflict. You've got things going on where things just aren't quite right. You're afflicted. That, that's the Corinthians and him. These guys, the Corinthians, are being attracted to others who claim to be apostles or pushing their own ideas at them. So Paul doesn't defend himself in the ministry. He starts with this idea that God comforts us in our afflictions, our troubles. Okay, you got it. (laughs) There's not the news I wanted to have. Thank you very much. Because what I want to hear is God delivers me from my afflictions. What I want to hear is God heals me of all my afflictions. What I want to hear is God promises that with his power, he's going to make everything right. And instead, Paul leads with, God comforts me in my afflictions. Do you realize that's way different than he takes you out of them? It's that in the midst of them that still exist, he brings a comfort. That's interesting. And the most interesting about this, if you're catching it with me, is the use of the word all. It's very general. It is boundless. It's not God for some afflictions of some people. God is the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction. And the message of Paul, the gospel, is going to be a balm that is used in every affliction, every suffering, every peace, that we start to understand the depth and the wonder of the gospel is our comfort everywhere. 
This is the comfort that we've been comforted by. Well, what is it? Well, let's first finish the paragraph. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Again, if you're a reader of the Bible, and you are like me, you read these passages and you say, well, whatever, he's talking about something. Let's keep going. Stop. This is the beginning of the letter. It's actually really important for you. This is not like some throwaway. Yeah, he's just saying we're all, we're all hurting and God will comfort us. Where's the meat? No, this is actually huge. Follow, he sets up two groups. Follow him. He sets up two groups. We, and by we he means the apostles and you, the other people. <laughs> That's what he does because they're not accepting it. And he says, we're the example, Paul says, me, the apostle. And here's the theological center. God's fatherly comfort is given ever only to those in weakness and affliction. A comfort that is salvation itself. Again, I, I want to put rails on that for you somehow. I want you to see it somehow. Because what I believe is the comfort of God is to take away the affliction and make me strong. But Paul, right at the beginning of the letter that he's writing, says God, what he's doing, is something different. He gives people who are suffering the comfort of salvation. I am not who I will be, but I know to the depth of my soul that it's coming. Jesus Christ rescues me. His blood for me. That is the balm to my soul that God has promised me in his word that he declares that you are loved, forgiven in Christ forever. This is the message, he says, that they're not accepting. They want and they're focusing on the gifts of God. Right? Their strengthening, their health, their advancement, their climbing. And Paul says the comfort is in our affliction and our suffering because the comfort is salvation, the comfort that comes from the outside of you and me, and it's Christ. And so if you look at me, you better not see something strong because I'm not saving myself. My hope is in the strength of the Savior. Make no mistake, the apostle, together with all Christians who hold the apostolic message, shares in the suffering of the creation under the power of sin and death. So We all do. Every single person in here is suffering why are you suffering? Because things don't go like they should. Right? I mean, isn't that the very first chapters of the Bible? It's like they were serving God, they sinned, it's like sin entered and the whole world fell. And now we have these passages like Romans 8, where it says, oh, all creation groans, longing for the restoration of, of creation. Guess what? It's still groaning. Well, but it's been a couple thousand years, so now the groaning has stopped, and now we just have hallelujahs. No. We still have broken relationships. Why? Because of the fall. We still have broken bodies. Why? Because of the fall. We still have sin all over. Why? Because of the fall. I still suffer all these things. Anxiety that I shouldn't have. Why? Because God tells me to rejoice always because he's done it all. And yet here I am worried. God says you can't even, you can't even change the color of a hair of your head. I guess you can by dyeing it or something. It's not going to last though. Eventually, 
It's going to be what God wants it to be. You can't even choose that stuff. You can't make yourself taller. You can't do any of those things. And yet you worry about how much you're going to eat tomorrow. And we have, we have all these things and afflictions and things going on. Why? Because of the fallen world. But in the midst of it, what do I know? What's the balm we share? We're loved. We're forgiven. He's got us. These are particularly talking about Christian sufferings. Indeed, the sufferings of Christ, and that they accept these sufferings as the confession of Christ. Paul's suffering runs the gamut. Paul suffered more, more than all outward hardships, physical suffering and illness, even death itself. Uh, we, should, we should look at that. Right? The Christian message is not suffering avoidance. It's not affliction ending. It's not advancement away from our sin. It is comfort in affliction. Gospel comfort by the word of God and promise. And, and, and they might have said, they might have said, yeah, Paul, you don't even know. You're just like a weakling is your problem. It's not that you've suffered. The issue is not that you've suffered, Paul, or that you're in affliction. The issue is you're not strong enough. You don't look like Sylvester Stallone, except maybe the old Sylvester Stallone. So he says this to them in verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Y'all don't know my story, Paul says. We were on the brink of death. We thought we would die all the way at the other end from being well put together and advancing in strength. No way. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Right? It's acted out. Our hope has to be in God and not ourselves. Not even in God who strengthens the weary. Not even in God who makes us strong conquerors. Not God, no, God who does what? Raises the dead. What does that mean I am? dead hey you dead yet you're gonna be that's the whole message right god raises the dead that's suffering he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Yet deliverance is real. Help us proclaim it, will you? Broad strokes, right? This is the introduction. He's going to go into more. But the lines are being set, and if you don't pay attention, you'll miss it. Paul doesn't thank God for them. He doesn't focus on the gifts God has given them. He doesn't praise God for their strengths their faithfulness, their blessings. Instead, he points directly to God and God alone as the only comfort he's going to get. And the ongoing affliction of Christian living, suffering and trouble and hurt because the comfort we must have is the comfort that God has us. How do I know? What's the message? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Him raised from the dead. Him sit in the right hand of God and him who is my advocate and adores me and brings me home. This is the testimony. In fact, this is the clear testimony of Paul. Right here at the beginning. This is where he's going. For our boast is this, he says, 
the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity, godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. This is the boast, right? This is their testimony. Behaving with this simplicity and sincerity, that's fabulous. It's just a simple message, a simple truth, and it's real and true, and we told you, and you heard it. I was there with you. It is not by earthly wisdom that this came. It wasn't because I was a great orator. It's not because I was like, oh man, somebody you wanted to emulate so well. It's not because of it. It's the message. What's the message? The comfort of God. What's the comfort he's got you? Earthly wisdom is set against the gospel. Do you see that? The grace of God. What is earthly wisdom? You realize it's all the rational things that you think about yourself improving. Well, that's kind of a claim there, Dax. Yeah, we'll have to see, right? We're just starting out. You you can. But earthly wisdom is right-handed strength. Earthly wisdom is the wisdom of logic and reason and consequence. If then. You've known that, right? If you do this, then this will happen. If you do that, I know I can build a whole tower in my mind with if-thens about pathways I will take because I think that's what God has. And it's not the message of comfort that God has me. It's the message of me getting myself to God. That's earthly wisdom. They built a tower, right? That's the Tower of Babel to get to the heavens. If you are God's, he will make you strong. If you behave, you'll be blessed. If, 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 if. And if you're God, he certainly is going to make you into something glorious on earth, right? No, that's not the message. What's the message again? The grace of God. The grace of God predisposes that you're unworthy, right? Grace means unmerited favor. It means you get something you don't deserve. God's favor for the lowly, the humble, not the ones who self-humiliate, the nobodies. That's me. That's you. Yeah, I'm pointing at I'm pointing this side today. Last time I took, picked on these guys. Sorry, guys. You guys, you're nobodies. Yeah, you. Say, well, what about them? Yeah, them too. What about all of us? Yeah, that's the whole idea, right? God takes the scummy loser and he brings them home. That's called the parable of the prodigal son. God takes the outcast and he invites them in. That's Jesus curing the leper by his touch. We focus on the gift. Oh, look, the leper's healed. We don't focus on the, the image. God brings in the outcast. That's what he's doing. It's a sign. God takes the blind and makes them see. See what? Their sin, not their strength. God takes the unworthy and he uses them for his kingdom. God takes suffering and he uses it for good. I, I don't know how he does it. All these pictures of the real amazing truth that you have. God has set his love on the unlovable. That's us. It's done. That's what he's doing. That's what Paul is saying. I'm not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. And I hope you will fully understand. Just as you did partially understand us. That on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. 
Yeah, you'll boast of Paul. The Paul who he says, I'm just about dead and dying and thinking I'm done. I'm so afflicted. I, I despaired of life. And yet he's going to be your boast. Why? How, how can we be the boast of each other? Because we know the single thing that's our comfort. Jesus Christ for us. That's what it is. We will have one boast. Look at Christ in them. Look at the favor of God on display. Not in making strong, but Christ in you, the hope of glory. No glory to the flesh, no glory to the man or the woman or the child. God's strength in the weakness of the world. The affliction is identified by Paul as the sufferings of Christ, the existence of sin in the midst of promised redemption. And he's going to get into it. So the, if you know a single chapter in 2 Corinthians, it'll be chapter 5. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We're talking about Jesus actually becoming sin. I can't think of a worse suffering for God in our momentary sufferings. And we, we, we speak to each other. Don't forget, don't forget. God's got you. He's got you. This is, this is not the real peace, you know, here on earth. Reality is coming. Jesus Christ for us. We groan with all creation, awaiting our heavenly bodies, pointing to Christ, proclaiming him, the one who became us and took on our flesh, felt and experienced the weight of this fallen place and promises that we will be with him in glory forever. This is our hope. I leave you with a couple things. First is this from Isaiah. This is not some new message. This is the message. This is Isaiah pointing forward and saying, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Oh, with what? Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. She has received from God's hand double for all her sins. That receive from God's hand double is not that he smacks you. It's he gifts us forgiveness and pardon and blessing. It's ours and we suffer now. We do. Why? Because we're not yet home. We're in the flesh and we can't get away from it. We want us to be strong. We want us to be the next strong guy and instead we're weak and nothing. But we know that the message is we are weak and nothing and he has done it all. And this is what Paul says, and we read it in 1 Corinthians, right? At the end there, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. And yet here he's in 2 Corinthians saying, I'm an apostle. How can he do that? Because, because he did persecute the church of God. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me is not in vain. God's unmerited favor for Paul is that though he was nothing, God used him. You don't think he's doing that for you? You're going to let the idea that, boy, if I get more faithful, then he'll use me come into your thinking. You're going you're gonna to start slipping into thinking, oh, man, what I really need to do is to be better at this stuff in order for God to really use me. Or are you going to come with Paul? And, and today... I get the point that God's fatherly comfort is given ever only to those in weakness and affliction. Comfort that's salvation itself. This is the nature of the apostolic ministry. This is Paul, our apostle, speaking for you and me. He is our apostle.
trouble the comfortable to comfort the troubled. Comfort in suffering, it's bound to Jesus. You are not what you imagine yourself to be. And I don't know, I don't know your deepest thoughts and where you live and how you think of yourself. But I know that however that is, it's not going to be quite right in this fallen world. You are not defined by your abilities or your powers or your possessions or your performance. You're defined by the work of God for you. He has done it. And we suffer these works because we are not in charge. He is in charge of what happens to me. You think, man, I'm not getting to where I need to be. I'm not getting to what I deserve. I'm not advancing like I'd like to. I'm not getting the accolades that really I should have for my faithfulness, for my work, for my peace. Throw it away and instead be comforted. Oh, your God has you. You're so unworthy, but Christ has you forever. The danger of the Corinthians, Gentiles like us, worldly like us, raised far from God like us. So he put the gifts of God in place of the giver. The spiritual gifts and the physical gifts and the abilities, specific works or strengths are the signs of favor and grace, the evidence of God's favor, and that's wrong. You are loved. That's the favor. His favors in Christ who suffered. Our gift is him and our relationship is him and all is him and we look foolish all the time. That's okay. Comfort my people. Their foolishness is covered. I will use them and he is using you. This is going to be the message of 2 Corinthians. That's an overview. This is just the first half of the chapter. We'll do more. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. We don't deserve it. Oh, Lord. I'd like to meet Paul. Lord, I know all of us here, we would love to see Jesus. How we long to actually see the realities that you proclaim to us through your word. And Father, we pray that we might be faithful. You might bear that fruit in us by your spirit of your comfort. And I pray today for anyone in this room who is afflicted that we might hear the comfort of the gospel that you've got us. That our lives are useful because you have us, not we have ourselves. Help us to live it, Lord. Encourage each other. In the name of Jesus, amen.